Our gospel for today is from the 15th chapter of John. Jesus said, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I've said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and so that your joy may be complete. And he said, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer. The servant does not know what the master is doing, but I've called you friends because I've made known to you everything that I've heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I chose you to bear fruit, fruit that will last so that the father will give you whatever you ask in my name. I'm giving you these commands so that you might love one another. The gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. One of my favorite movies is Stand By Me. It was out way back in the 1900s, so the confirmation kids probably have not seen it unless one of their good and faithful parents have invited them to watch it. I realize it's not the best movie by the standards of seasoned film critics or the Academy Awards and whatnot, but I like it anyway. I like it because... I liked the short story on which it's based first. A lot of people don't realize Stephen King wrote that short story. There are no pet cemeteries or clowns in the sewer or children of the corn or haunted hotels or any of the other things that make a Stephen King story a Stephen King story in this one. Anyway, there is a body. Stand By Me is the story of four adolescent boys who, though they would call themselves friends at the beginning of it all, became the best of friends as the story moves along. It takes place even longer ago in the 1900s, in the 1950s, when one of the boys learns that there is a dead body somewhere near the railroad tracks in a neighboring town. And the four pals make it their mission to find it, the body, and report it, the body, to the police and to the media so that they might get their 15 minutes of fame out of the deal. The story and their adventure, too, turns out to be less and less about the search for that dead body and more and more about the friendship that develops between the kids during their time together as they hike and camp and get into and out of all kinds of trouble, they tell stories around the campfire. They get chased by dogs and run away from trains. They get threatened by older brothers and bullies. They get into fights with each other. They confess their fears and crushes to one another. They save each other's lives and otherwise come of age, whatever that means. The short of the long is that the boys become the very best of friends during this short season of their young lives together. And the movie ends with 
a line from Stephen King's story that I think about often. It says, I never had any friends like the ones I had when I was 12. Jesus, does anyone? I never had any friends like the ones that I had when I was 12. Jesus, does anyone? Which made me think this time around about Confirmation Sunday and this rite of passage for Lutherans like us, where we gather adolescents around the waters of their baptism, and today, anyway, hear this bit from Jesus about what it means to be friends with instead of servants of or slaves of the God of all creation. Which was a new way to understand the God of the universe for those disciples who were hearing about that for the first time. Jesus said, I've loved you. Abide in my love so that your joy may be complete. He said, you are my friends. I don't call you servants any longer. But I've called you friends. You didn't choose me, but I chose you. And I'm giving you these commands so that you might love one another. And it's easy to imagine that those first disciples might have been surprised to hear this from Jesus, who they're trying to understand to be their Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God even, because it's just another way that the God we know in Jesus was different from the way those first disciples and the world around them understood a God could ever be. And the same might be true for us a lot of the time, it seems to me. Throughout Scripture, from the Hebrew Scriptures of those first disciples and Jesus himself, all the way through what we call the New Testament, the nature of God is being revealed as something altogether different from what people expected or thought they were looking for or needed even in their lives. The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob wasn't a God who lived up there and out there in a galaxy far, far away, you've heard me say before. Like the gods that we're used to or that had been told to the disciples and that some of their neighbors worshipped around. Far away gods, distant gods. No, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob was a God who dwelled among God's people, moved around in the Garden of Eden at the time of the evening breeze, who led the people through the wilderness by pillars of cloud and fire, a God who camped out in the tabernacle as they made their way through that wilderness, a God who spoke through the prophets. And the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob was a God who centered grace, too, who was motivated by nothing more, nothing less than love. We've been tricked into believing that grace was a hard thing to come by in those Old Testament days, but it's there. It's relative to the day and to the age and to the stories that surround all of it, but there is grace in that rainbow that follows the flood, for example. There's grace in those Ten Commandments that promise life and blessing and abundance and justice if only we let those laws 
guide our life because we get to, not because we feel like we've got to. And there's grace in the overarching theme of those Hebrew scriptures, too, for people being released from slavery, being released from oppression, from suffering, and for a people promised freedom and abundance and new life simply because that was God's desire for them. Again, this was a God who did things differently. And this is the same God who showed up in Jesus, of course, living and moving and breathing in and for and with the world, like the evening breeze or like the pillar of clouds, like the tabernacle, like the prophets, Jesus showed up. And this time, Jesus was one of them. Jesus was one of us. And Jesus showed up preaching and teaching and healing and forgiving all expressions of and all experiences with that same amazing grace that God wanted simply but profoundly and abundantly to share with the world. And now, this Jesus was showing himself yet again to be a different kind of God than the world had ever seen or heard of or expected could be true. Jesus wanted to be friends with his people. Friends. No longer were people to see God as a slave master or a slave driver. No longer was God to be seen as a master manipulator or a purveyor of punishment. No longer were people to walk on eggshells through their daily lives in this world, fearing the monsters beneath their beds, the demons in their closets, or the grumpy old man in the sky holding their feet to the fire or holding their sins over their heads or holding an everlasting grudge for every sin and transgression they could count for themselves. Now, we have a friend in Jesus. A friend who wants to hold our hand through all of that. Nothing more, certainly nothing less than a friend. A companion for our journey. A humble servant himself. One who suffers for our sake. One who lays down his life for those that he calls friends and loves so dearly. And deeply. We have a friend in Jesus who abides in a kind of love that is everlasting and generous and abundant and that knows no limits. In Jesus, we have a friend who always, always, always chooses us, even when we forget or neglect, or lack the courage or the wisdom or the faith to choose him back. Like I said, my love for Stand By Me, the movie and the story by Stephen King that inspired it, is wrapped up in that rhetorical question that ends all of it. I never had any friends like the ones I had when I was 12. Jesus, does anyone Jesus, does anyone? There's always been some measure of truth to that for me, honestly. 
I'm lucky to still have some of those friends in my life, ones who knew me and who loved me and who grew up with me during those formative kind of coming-of-age adventures of my childhood. I had a dinner with a couple of them on a whim just two weeks ago when I found out they were going to be in Indianapolis from Michigan. I went to Toledo last week to have some time with two others who I grew up with in Toledo. My son, who's being confirmed today, is named after another, Maxwell David. And my hope for him and for each of these young people, Bethany, Charlie, Kylie, Ella, Allie, Alex, Evelyn, Natalie, Nate. I hope for each of you is that you will know and you will hold on to and you will have reason to celebrate those kinds of friends now in your life and in all the years to come too. My hope for them even more and for all of us together as God's children and friends is that those kind of friends, the ones who abide, the ones who sacrifice for our sake and compel us to do likewise, the ones who choose us when others don't, the ones who make our joy complete, the ones who inspire us to love well and to love deeply and to love without shame. I hope those are the friends who remind us of the God, who remind us of the friend we have in Jesus, who does all of those things to perfection for each and every one of us and for the sake of the world. Amen.